So Father's Day has started to look a little bit different for me in ways that I did not expect. The number one way is as I'm preaching, as I'm talking, I no longer get to use the cool illustrations anymore, like from Top Gun, from Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, whatever, all the cool stuff that I I really, really enjoy. All of my illustrations no longer come from those things because I don't get to watch those things anymore. So today, as we open up our, our story as we're going through this series, finishing it up today, we get to start with the best illustration ever, inspired by my youngest son, because it's the movie I got to watch this week, Cars. If you haven't seen Cars, it's the lovely adventure of Lightning McQueen and Mater. It is an awesome animated film that is nowhere near as good as any of the movies I mentioned beforehand. However, we do see a great story about a car who is trying to win the World Cup, the, the Piston Cup, I believe it's called in the movie. And he's doing everything he possibly can to try to win this Piston Cup. And on the way, he has to go to this final championship race. He gets stranded, literally in the middle of nowhere, in this backwoods town that no one knows even exists anymore. And he is literally a big fish in a small pond, and he seems the exact opposite of everybody else in this little bitty town. He seems like the literal antithesis of who should be in this town. However, spoiler alert, as the story continues, we find out that Lightning McQueen is exactly what the town needed. Even though he probably was the villain for everyone in the town to begin with, he later becomes the hero that helps save the town. And the reason I bring this great story up, this lovely animated movie, is because we are dealing with an author in the Book of Romans through this tug-of-war series who goes through the exact same transformation. Paul, who was Saul, as we have talked about, was literally the person that killed Christians. And ultimately, he encounters Jesus, and his life and his trajectory is changed forever. He started off the villain and later becomes one of the greatest Christians that many consider uh, of all time, one of the greatest Christian leaders of all time. So as we've been studying these first five books of Romans that Paul wrote after he converted from Saul, he changed his name, Paul wrote these several chapters in Romans, and they are full of all sorts of rich and amazing truths. In the first week, we looked at chapter one, and we talked about the dangers, when using the tug-of-war example, the dangers and the tension that comes in the way we view ourselves and how the world views ourselves and the tug-of-war that happens between those things. In week two, we talked about how we view others, and the world wants us to view others one way, and the Bible seems to teach the opposite. And then week three, we talked about how God views us and how it's very different from how the world talks about ourselves. And there's this tension that is created in each and every one of these weeks. And finally, we talked about the way that God views us, or the way that we view God. And there's this, all, this tension each and every week created by God's way versus the world's way. And this tug of war that seems to happen in our lives ever since. And so we are trying this week, this final week of the series, to figure out how to get rid of this tension completely. How do we finally, in this tug of war series, how do we live without the tension? Without viewing God's way versus the world's way? How do we ultimately act and how should we interact with the people that are around us? We've got to figure out a way to live without the tension like what we find in the tug-of-war game. Because we're going to interact with people on a daily basis, no matter what type of life you're in. 
you are going to see people, and most likely, if you're trying to follow Jesus, a lot of those people are going to be living a counter system of values compared to what you are trying to live to when it comes to God. And so how do you ultimately live this life following God's way and still interact with people who seem to follow the world's way? I was taught from a very young age the simple proverb that has become so true in my life over the last several years. It says, show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. I thought that was the silliest thing growing up, but it's ultimately true, and we see that it's actually a biblical truth. In fact, if we were to keep reading Romans, in Romans chapter 8, here's what it says. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. So who you interact with and their mindset and their system of values will ultimately interfere with the way you think and the way you act. So how is it possible then to act and interact God's way with ungodly people? As Rob spoke about last week, the the number of ungodly people continue to grow each and every year. We've seen over the last two decades that those who consider themselves Christians has dropped And those who actually follow Jesus are probably even lower than that. And so how do we interact with people who don't share the same system of beliefs and values that we do? We want to study this book of Romans. And what I want to do today, I want to firm up the foundation that we've laid so far. I don't know if you guys know this or not, but I'm currently in the process of building a house. And so I'm now an expert on what building a house looks like, if you need to know. I got you. I know what the foundation is. I know how to lay the foundation. Trust me, I've checked every single week what the foundation has looked like from step one to not much further than it is right now. It's a very complicated process, but the most important part of that process is the foundation. And so over the last four weeks, we have poured the foundation of what this is supposed to look like when it comes to interacting with people. But today, I want to firm up, I want to solidify what it means to interact with people outside of the church. We can't just live in our Christian bubble. We can't just come here to LCA, meet on Sunday, and then never leave throughout the week. One, you all would have a hard time maintaining a house at that point, but two, we want to interact with people outside the church. We're commanded to do that. We're commanded to make disciples. So how do we follow God and not lose our system of values and beliefs that God has taught us? We're going to look at chapter 5. We're going to read just the beginning of chapter 5 that Paul wrote again. And we're going to stop right at the very beginning, because right, right at the, in the first few words, we see that Paul uses some very, very churchy words, words that we don't use outside the church very often. And I want to make sure we understand what those are, because it firms up the foundation for the rest of our teaching this morning. So here's what it says, Romans chapter 5, first part of verse 1. It says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith. So there's two key words there, one of which we talked about a lot The other Rob mentioned for us last week. Faith is something that we have mentioned on a nearly weekly basis as we've started our church. And to sum it up again in its most basic form, we talked about this. Does anybody remember the definition that I spoke of way back in November? I expected that. It's a simple, simple phrase that faith is belief in action. Faith is belief in action. So when you believe and you place your faith in Jesus Christ, that means your belief should push you to do something. Belief will leave you sitting where you are right now, not making any changes in your life. If you have faith, that means you are going to believe something so much that it causes you to take action. 
The example I used back then is if you have faith that it's going to rain, you would then bring an umbrella. If you simply believe that it might rain, it would not lead you to action. So in our, in our spiritual walks, what I'm trying to say is when we have faith in Jesus, a lot of times it leads us to repent of our sins. A lot of times it leads us to ask for forgiveness. It leads us to ask for mercy. We might start serving as a result of our faith. There are lots of actions that take place because of the belief that we have in Jesus. And so faith is belief in action. And the second churchy word that Paul uses here is justification. And anytime you add more syllables than two, we start to really get confused. And so we need to define justification as well. And justification is how we become good in the eyes of God. And so we, as we talked about in chapter 3, all people have sinned. All of you are imperfect. I am imperfect. Everyone is imperfect. And since we have sin in our lives, we are all evil. In order for our status to change from evil to good or from evil to righteousness, we need to be justified. And we are justified from evil to righteousness because Jesus died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. So when we place our faith in him, we are taking action and we are being justified, made from good, or made from evil to righteous. That is the process of justification. That is what Paul means when he says, we have been justified by faith. So as we understand that, we can then go a step further and understand what this means. If, I, if you want me to simplify it even more for you, I have a story of when I was in kindergarten. How many of you guys remember when you were in kindergarten? Three of you. Awesome. I'll tell you what my story was. In kindergarten... It was really easy to make me behave. All you had to do was give me some kind of reward, and I would probably behave in a very good manner. So my kindergarten teacher, we come into our first day, and she has this awesome treasure chest. And inside this treasure chest is all sorts of toys and candy and all sorts of goodies that kindergartners would like. The way that you got to take something from the treasure chest is at the end of the nine weeks, she had this traffic light system. If you had a green in your traffic light, it meant that at the end of the nine weeks, you pulled something from the treasure chest. If it was yellow, no go. If it was red, definitely not. And so I tried my best, my best, to always have a green at the end of the day. So so that by the end of the nine weeks, I would be sitting at green, and I got to pick something from the toy chest. My status was always going to remain green, so that I got the toy. However... There were other kids in our class, and there's one specifically that I remember whose light must have been broken because it just stayed on red every single day, always red. And I just remember thinking uh, as a little child walking through the hallways, that kid's not going to get a toy, and I am. So I'm clearly superior to him. However, the last day of the nine weeks comes. I see that my status is still green. I know at the end of the day I'm getting a toy. I'm going to be on my best behavior all day because I want the toy. Then this kid, who has remained red all year long, goes up and gives a gift to the teacher and thanks her for doing such an amazing job all year long. And suddenly, his status in one action went from red to green. I was good all year long, and I stayed green. This kid was good for one day, gave the teacher one compliment, and his status went from red to green. And both of us got a toy at the end of the day. But is this not true for the way we are justified in Christ as well? No matter what our behavior is, no matter how righteous we think we are, our our system of justification ultimately comes 
by putting our faith in Jesus. So just as that kid put his belief in our teacher, so we put our faith in Jesus, and our status changes from evil to righteous. God takes that uh, a step further as we're reading Romans chapter 5. Look at the rest of verses 1 and into verse 2. It says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope and the glory of God. So notice the key words that happen after verse 1. Because we have been justified by faith, suddenly we get to live at peace with God. Peace means that we can, we can be absolutely certain in where we will end up eternally. Your status is no longer in question when you put your faith in Jesus and are justified. You don't have to worry about judgment at this point. You don't have to worry about wrath. You don't have to be like Bruce Almighty and smite me, Almighty Smiter. You don't have to worry about that anymore because you are justified by faith. You were evil, but you are now righteous. But who does this include? Who then can be justified by putting their faith in Jesus? Well, verses 6 and 8 testify to who has that ability. Here's what it says. Verse 6, for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Verse 8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So take note, like we said before, Romans chapter 3, every one of us is a sinner. Every one of us is ungodly. And what's crazy is Christ knew that we were going to be an evil people because of our sin. Christ knew that we were going to be unrighteous, and still he chose to die for each and every one of us. Jesus still chose to die knowing we are sinners, knowing that we are filthy, knowing that we are unclean. And I know each and every one of us has probably had a different moment in our life where we felt completely hopeless, completely unclean, completely dirty, and unable to become righteous. I know when I was a teenager, there were multiple times in my life where I didn't feel like I could go to church because of the sins that I had committed in my life. I felt embarrassed to be among other people in church because of the sin in my life. And I'm sure many of you guys have felt that way as well. And it's because when we sin, when we are imperfect, when we are ungodly, when we do unrighteous things, there's this gap created between us and God. There's this chasm that falls in between us. And while God eagerly wants to be with us, our sin pushes him away. And it's difficult to, to really quantify how big this gap is. And so I like how Paul puts it in verses 9 through 10. Here's what he says. There's, there's one specific word, I think, that, that really uh, illustrates perfectly what this gap looks like. Verse 9. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. Did you catch that word, enemies? Paul is using the word enemies because he is using this illustration of two camps, two army camps at war with one another. And if you're, if you're camped across from the other army, you're clearly at odds. And the way war worked back then is you would basically fight until the other person's camp either ran out or they ran away. And so when we sin, when we are ungodly, when we are unrighteous, we are at war with God, and we are trying to basically push him as far as we can away from us 
so that he is distant in our lives. It may not be what we're trying to do, but Paul is telling us, when you sin, that is what you are doing. You, you are literally at war with God. If you were using the tug-of-war example with the rope, we are doing everything we can to achieve victory. But we have to notice what God is doing on the other side in this tug-of-war of life. He's not at war with us trying to win. He's not trying to achieve victory. He's just trying to be with us. And so while we're pulling and tugging in this rope of tug-of-war trying to win, God's pulling just hoping he can be close to us. He doesn't care where the little flag falls in, in the middle when it comes to the war in this. He knows in, in the end he wins the war anyways. However, he wants us to be close to him. And so in this tug-of-war life, it's not the tension that he is trying to create to create problems in our lives. He's just trying to pull us a little bit closer to him. He wants us to understand the relationship that he wants with each and every one of us. It's the dream that he has for each and every one of our lives. And I know there's probably tons of people uh, in this room right now who feel the guilt of sin bearing down on them. And God just wants to be close to you. And so if you put your faith in him, you too can be justified. You too can have your sins forgiven. The main thing Paul is trying to tell us in the first few verses of chapter 5 is we should live like God gave everything for us on a daily basis. So when we interact with the world, when we go out those doors and into our community, when we go eat lunch, when we're celebrating our dads, when I'm sure all of you are watching the U.S. Open this afternoon, cheering on Rory McIlroy, again, all of you are doing that today. Your silence makes me worried. Whatever, as you go off into the world today, I want you to understand that you are supposed to live as though God gave everything for you. You don't have to watch the U.S. Open. You can just go and celebrate with your father. You can just go and celebrate with your friends. When you go to work tomorrow, when you go to work this week, when you go to work over the next month, however you interact with people around you, you need to live and interact with people in such a way that God gave everything for you. Because when you have a friend that gives everything for you, you too interact with them on a daily basis. You want to be around a friend who gives everything, correct? I know people in my life who've given everything for me and to be around me, and I want to love those people and be around those people as much as I possibly can. I know there's been times in, in mine and Kayla's life where people show up in our biggest hours of need, and we truly understand that those people love us. The same is true for our Heavenly Father. He is there for us in our biggest times of weakness. So we should interact with him on a daily basis and live as though he gave everything for us. But remember, remember what, that, what verse 6 and verse 8 said. All sinners, everyone, we are all imperfect. And so this isn't just for you. This isn't just for me. This isn't just for the people who are at church right now and will be at church over the next couple hours or went to church this morning. This is something that's true for everyone. There are tons of people who, when they come to meet Jesus, will give everything. So yes, we should live like God gave everything for us, but the way we should interact with the people around us is we should be looking for people who will also give everything to him as well. Go back to that example of Paul who converted from Saul. If, if that man existed now, if there was somebody in America going around and killing Christians, or make, make it more believable, if there was someone in America right now who took it as their job to crush Christians on a daily basis, we would think that there is no way that person 
could ever become a Christian and follower of Jesus. That's exactly who Paul was when he was still called Saul and went by the name Saul. He was the person that killed Christians, and before he encountered Jesus, he was on his way to get a license to kill more Christians. And yet when he meets Jesus, Jesus saw something completely different. He saw someone who was passionate, who was sold out, who would do everything they could for someone around them. And so when Saul becomes Paul because he met Jesus, we see one of the greatest leaders to ever walk the earth in the Christian faith. And so I want you to think for a minute about the people you interact with every, every week, work, neighbors, whatever it might be. Who are the people that you think there are no way that person will ever follow Jesus? There is no way that person will ever become a disciple. And most likely, if you look at them with kingdom eyes, if you look at them the way God views them, and you interact with them the way God would, it just might be that that person could be one of the greatest disciples that we know. And so I encourage you this week to recognize those people, to live like God gave everything for you, but to also look for people who would give everything for him. But I know there's also tons of people, whether it's in this room, whether you're watching online, uh, that we will see in this world that feel like they've hit absolute rock bottom, where they feel like the guilt is overwhelming, where they feel like sin is just taking over their lives. They feel like no one loves them. They feel like they're alone. They go to bed in a dark place, and they wake up, it seems like, in an even darker one. And if that's you here now, if it's you watching online, if it's someone you interact with on a daily basis, I I want those people to know that they are not alone, that there are people who love them. There's people in this church that want to love and care for you. And I think Luke chapter 7 honestly illustrates this perfectly for the way that we should love and view these people. And I think this brings home the whole idea of Romans chapter 5. So I want you, if you're following me along in the notes, turn to Luke chapter 7 and check out verse 36. It's one of the greatest, most humbling stories in all of Scripture. Here's what it says. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Now this is, this is a religious leader. This is one of the people that everybody looked up to that thought was the closest to God. Jesus goes over to this guy's house. Verse 37, and a woman in that town who lived a sinful life, learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him And what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, and so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which one of them will love him more? Simon replied, I I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and to Simon. He said, do you see this woman? I came into your house and you did not give me water for my feet, but she wept my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. 
You do not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. You see, the woman had hit rock bottom. The woman was overwhelmed with sin. The woman was overwhelmed with guilt. The woman knew her one piece of hope to climb out of the hole, to pull her out, was Jesus. And she was willing to do anything, everything. That, that jar was probably worth more than she was at that point. And she was willing to give it, willing to sacrifice probably eating for the next little bit, just knowing that she could be close to Jesus and be forgiven by Jesus. Is that the love you show to the people around you? Have you been forgiven that much? Do you recognize the guilt and the sin that has been taken away from your life when you were justified by faith in Jesus? If you feel that kind of love, then it is obvious that you are going to share that kind of love on a daily basis with every single person around you. If you feel like that woman felt, then I encourage you. I'm going to throw the QR code up here again. If you're watching with us online, there's going to be a link in the description that you can follow along with. I encourage you, if you feel like the woman did, if you feel overwhelmed with sin and guilt, I ask you to, to follow that link, and there's two sections that you will find once you follow it. There's one that says, I'm new. There's one that says, get connected. And if you have not met Jesus yet, if you are so overwhelmed with sin in your life, you feel like there's no one that loves you, I promise that that is not true and that you are not alone. Uh, there are staff members that would love to get to know you. There's people in this church that would love to get connected with you. And you do not have to feel this guilt on a daily basis because your sins are forgiven and you can be justified by faith if you place it in Jesus. So I invite you to do that this morning. Follow that link. We would love to have a conversation with you. If that is not you, then I just want you to remember this easy phrase and live like this and interact with people like this on a daily basis. We should live, each and every one of us, like God gave everything for us. And we should look for people willing to give everything.